Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God that engages us is the epistle lesson that was read previously. Thus far the text. Dear friends in Christ, confidence, that feeling in the heart and the mind that you can rely on someone or something, that feeling in the heart and the mind that you can trust someone or something. And so then when we speak of self-confidence, we are speaking of that feeling that we can rely on ourselves, that we can trust in ourselves for success. And so Paul, in our epistle lesson for today, insists that if anyone has a right to be self-confident before God, he does, at least from a human perspective. Paul trots out for us what we might call his religious resume, and it is quite impressive, at least from a human perspective. He first of all commends to us his ancestry and the fact that he comes from all the right people. He begins by saying that he was circumcised on the eighth day. That was a command given by God to Abraham. It was to be followed for all male descendants of Abraham, all sons of the covenant. So in saying that, Paul is saying, I come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says also that he is of the people of Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, Israel being the name that God gave to Jacob after Jacob wrestled with God. He goes on to say that he is of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a special tribe amongst the 12 tribes of God's people because Benjamin was the last child born to Jacob and to Rachel, the last son to be born and born in the promised land. And it was from the tribe of Benjamin that Israel's first king, Saul, emerged. And finally, Paul says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, not only does he have a Hebrew mother and father, but most likely also is insinuating that he kept all the traditions of his people, the Hebrews, and that he probably also retained the Hebrew language itself, in distinction from many of his colleagues and countrymen who simply abandoned the language. In addition to commending to us his heritage, his ancestry, Paul also commends to us his righteous way of living or at least righteous in his own mind. He says, first of all, that as to the law, he is a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were lay people. They were not clergy, and they were known for one thing in particular, their obsession with trying to keep God's law. Not only keeping God's law, but hundreds of others of rules and regulations that were invented and were referred to as a fence around the law. Their purpose of these regulations was to make sure that you didn't even come close to breaking God's 
law. And he goes on to say that as to righteousness, he was blameless under the law. A way of saying to us that his keeping of God's law was impeccable, if he does say so himself. And so Paul insists that if anyone had a right, had a reason to be self-confident before God, he did. Because of his ancestry, coming from all the right people, and because of his righteous way of living. And this is a good place to point out that one can have all the confidence in the world and still be wrong. Deadly, eternally wrong. For you see, the important thing is not how much confidence, how much faith, how much trust you have. What is important is what is the object of that confidence? What is the object of that faith and that trust? What is it rooted in? What is it based upon? I have talked to people who are much like the pre-conversion Paul. First of all, when it comes to their ancestors and the faithful people from which they come. Way back in 1982, when I graduated from Concordia Seminary here in town and received my first call into the pastoral ministry at Zion Lutheran Church in Mascouda, Illinois, I told the elders there at one of our first meetings together that I wanted to go out with them and visit people who had not been in worship six months or longer. Frankly, some of them had not been in worship in years. And as we went out and made these visits, on more than one occasion we heard comments such as, my great-great-grandparents were among the first members of Zion, or my grandfather served as president of the congregation, or my grandmother taught Sunday school there for nearly 20 years. Just like the pre-conversion Paul, they were trusting in the fidelity and the faithfulness of their ancestors, or at least a part of their confidence before God. And unfortunately, there are also people alive and well today who, like the pre-conversion Paul, are trusting in their so-called righteous living for their standing before God and their confidence before God. I have no doubt that if we would go over to West County Mall this afternoon and take a random survey and ask just one question, we would receive very similar responses. That question, are you confident you're going to go to heaven someday? Now those who believe in the existence of God and those who believe in the existence of heaven would probably no doubt answer yes. But then if we asked a second question, what is the basis upon which you are confident that you will one day go to heaven? We might hear answers, unfortunately, like this. Well, I'm basically a good person. Or, I always try to help other people in my life. Or, I try to live the best life I possibly can. Or, I'm surely not as bad as some other people I hear about these days. Just like the pre-conversion Paul, 
there is always a temptation for all people, including us, to base at least a part of our confidence before God upon our so-called holy or righteous living. But thanks to the miraculous intervention of God into the life of Paul, Paul came to see that righteousness before God, true righteousness before God, and confidence before God is not found in our ancestry, and it is not found in our so-called righteous living. After all, our ancestors were sinners just as we are, and they were in need of forgiveness just as we are. Even our best attempts at righteousness, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah refers to as filthy rags before God. And that's why Paul can say in our epistle lesson that he considers all these things to be a loss, to be rubbish. It's why Paul can say elsewhere in Romans chapter 3 that the keeping of, by the keeping of the law will no man be declared righteous in the sight of God. No, instead. It, Paul says all of these things are lost, they are rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And when he says knowing Jesus Christ, he's referring to a lot more than merely knowing about Jesus Christ or knowing information about Christ. He is referring to an intimate relationship of faith and trust in and with Jesus Christ. He's referring to relying on Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all of our sin. He's talking about trusting Jesus Christ for the physical, bodily resurrection from the dead and eternal life in the presence of God. And so now I ask you, how do you compare in your own mind the things in life that you are most proud of with the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and being found in him. Would you come to the same conclusion Paul comes to in our epistle lesson for today when it comes to the things that you consider to be your greatest achievements, your career, your possessions? Now certainly these things are not bad. They are blessings. They are gifts from God. But where would they rank in your life compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and being found in him? Would you consider all of them to be a loss, to be rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ? Paul certainly did. The things he was most proud of, the things he credited as his greatest achievements, he says, are all loss, are all rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And when you stop and think about it, of all the things that you know in life, of all the things that you have in life, there is only one that is going to make an eternal difference in your life, and that is knowing Jesus Christ your Lord and being found in him. It is knowing Jesus Christ your Lord and being found in him that results 
in righteousness from God and righteousness before God. A righteousness that is yours now and a righteousness that will be yours for eternity. And now as a result of that perfect righteousness, you can be confident in Christ. Not confident in yourself, but confident in Christ. That's why we identified those three words, confident in Christ, as one of our core values last year here at St. Paul's. It's why it, with the other three core values that we believe describe our lives as God's people, have been printed on the back of the church bulletin every Sunday since that day. That confidence in Christ is not a spiritual arrogance. It is not a spiritual elitism. It is simply relying on Christ and not on ourselves. Trusting in Christ and not ourselves. This Christ who came to this earth with complete confidence in the will of his Father, this Christ who suffered the loss of all things, including his life on the cross, for you. This Christ, who rose triumphant from the grave as he predicted he would numerous times. And this Christ, who made an incredible promise to Martha and to all of us when he said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now, unfortunately, there are people in this world who will try to shake your confidence in Christ. And there will be events, even tragedies, in your life or in the life of a loved one that Satan will try to exploit for all he can, again, in order to try and shake your confidence in Christ. In the midst of all of this, I pray that God will continue to work in your heart and in your mind through his word and through his sacrament and through the encouraging words by your brothers and sisters in Christ so that you may remain as you are today, confident in Christ, confessing boldly, as we did in the hymn we just sang, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.